this week, um, it was put on Facebook at one, one point in time, well, what's your favorite Christmas movie, if I remember right? Um, and uh, I told Amy, I talked to my wife, and, and I was asking her questions about the you know different Christmas movies that she has seen, and I was like, well, have you seen Murder Club 34th Street? She said no, and I'm like, well, we gotta watch that. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? She said no, I was like, we gotta watch that. Um, so we're making this list of movies that we have to watch this Christmas season that my wife has not watched. And uh, of course, um, you know, in her mind, it's like Elf is the Christmas classic and all that. And I'm like, well, there's ones that were made before that. And, and so I told her mind, and, and we'll just see if, if anybody, I'm going to tell you a couple characters. And anybody that saw the post, you know, one of the ones that I put, if you at least saw it. But one of my favorite all-time Christmas movies, it's, here's the, the plot line. There are two singers in it. One is Bob Wallace and one is Phil Davis. That's the characters' names. And there are famous singers who were in the army, and they find out that their general, that was, you know, their, their commander, is in trouble with a ski resort that he has. So they say to themselves, we're going to use what we have, and we're going to bless him, and we're going to help him, and we're going to help General Waverly uh, overcome this horrible season that he's having so that he doesn't lose this business that he put all of his money into because he's an amazing guy, and we love him, and it's a beautiful movie. What movie is it? White Christmas. It's also got one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time, right? It does. It's my number one favorite Christmas song. In fact, I love this so much. I can, so when we were driving around on Friday, my daughter, so Libby's the older and Piper's the younger. Piper's not there yet, but I'm not even joking. We can be driving in the car, and all I have to do is, all I have to do is go, and then Libby in the back. Dreaming. Um, she's right, right there with me, right? Because I sing this song even when it's not Christmas. Bing Crosby has the coolest voice ever. Anybody doesn't know this song and know who he is, you need a culture. You need some culture. Okay. Um, great, great movie. Great um, song. It's one of my favorites. I love watching White Christmas. So again, adding that to the list, my wife's never seen White Christmas. Um, if you've never seen it, watch it. It's great. But here's the thing I was thinking about with White Christmas. Do you ever notice how we really are drawn to stories and we're drawn to movies? We're drawn to things that are a beautiful example of one person helping out another person. I mean, that's the whole basis of White Christmas. White Christmas, the whole basis of the movie is these men that care for and love for the, the care and love they have for this general, for this man from their past that they haven't seen for years, because of the love and the care that they have for them, they go beyond themselves to sacrifice in order to help someone else. And we're drawn to stories like that. At least I am. I'm drawn to stories like that. In fact, if you look at most Christmases, even diehards about helping one another. <laughs> you know? I mean, it is. You got this guy that's, he could have just hidden in a closet somewhere, but no. He goes to try to rescue people because he loves them. Not really, but, you know. But we're drawn to stories like that. We're drawn to stories where people sacrifice to lift someone else up. And as we end our series talking about our core value number three, that we are on a rescue mission. Okay, as we end this series, and we look at how this relates to uh, Christmas. Even when we think about Christmas and the story of Jesus' birth, this is the ultimate one another story. 
It really is. When you look at the birth of Christ, this is a one another story. It's, it's God taking whatever steps necessary in order to help someone else, being us. I mean, think about John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1 says this. The Word, being Jesus, became human and made his home among us. That one sentence carries so much truth that it should just inspire us. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say. Um, who was here last week? I'm not really doing a 10 to touch water now. Okay. Um, here's one. I got told that you all got training on how to do amens. <laughs> So we're going to see how well your training took. Okay, just kidding. But I heard this, so we'll see how it goes. But anyways, this one sentence, right? The word became flesh and, and he became human and made his home among us. It's the God of the universe because he loves us so much. He made this ultimate sacrifice. Now don't get me wrong. The cross... That is the ultimate sacrifice. But we, we, we just kind of focus on the cross and we forget everything that Jesus gave up in order to be born in the first place. And think about this. He went from, well, not to make a, a joke out of it, but it's kind of the way it is. Anybody remember Aladdin? Phenomenal cosmic powers. space. You know? This idea that Jesus set aside, like willingly set aside his power and his glory and his ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And not only did he submit himself to becoming a human, he submitted himself to becoming an actual baby inside of a womb to mature and grow just like we did. I mean... The one another aspect of this, that God up in heaven said, I am willing to do whatever it takes in order to love on them. People that, honestly, we don't deserve it. We never will deserve it. But he didn't. And this is why, I mean, hear me on this. This is why I love everything about this time of year. I already said that. I love Christmas time. I love the movies. I love the music. I love every aspect of it. Whether it's the religious side or even the secular side. I love all of it. But here's the deal. It annoys me when we as Christians spend all of our time focusing on us during this time of year and not focusing on him. Christmas isn't about you. It's not even about your family gatherings. It's about Jesus. I mean, pictures. I try to say this to my girls all the time. I try to get them to understand it. Don't get me wrong. They're young and they're selfish because, I mean, I don't mean that negative. It's just that it happens. You know, they're about their presence and all that stuff um, and, and all this stuff. But I look at them and say, listen, girls, um, who is Christmas really about? And we'll talk about that. And, you know, it's about Jesus. Well, how would you feel if it was your birthday and everybody showed up to celebrate themselves but not you? And then kind of like, well, that wouldn't be right. Well, that's kind of, we try to explain it. That's kind of what it's like when we make it all about us, when Christmas is about the celebration of Jesus' coming and Jesus' birth. It's his celebration. But, but when we make it about us, it's like we say, hey, Jesus, it's your birthday, but we're going to make it about us, not about you. So I want us to understand that as we jump into this and we think about this, that 
the word became human and he made his dwelling among us. And it goes on, it says, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That's a one another statement that I can't, I, I just love it. It's like God saying, listen, sin has shielded you from me. Sin has hidden you from me. Sin has blocked you from me, but I am going to kick in the door and I am going to come and be born as a child and I'm going to live this life and I'm going to minister and I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to rise from the grave because I'm going to kick in the door that has separated you and me because I love you that much and I want to be with you. Truly one another story. And I keep saying one another because that's what we're going to focus on this morning is some one another statements, right? Statements in the Bible that use this term, one another, we're going to focus on that this morning to talk about our role, what is our role in the rescue mission when it comes to living out these one another statements. So here's, here's one thing I want you to, I find it interesting. Uh, in scripture, there is at least 59 statements that say in some way, one another. Like, do this towards one another. Live this way towards one another. Be with one another. And hopefully you've got a sheet of paper that has a listing of those. I'm here to tell you right now, not all 59 are on there because some of them are repeated. The number one, one another statement found in scripture, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit. But just to put it out there so we're on the same page. The number one, one another statement found in scripture is love one another. It's the number one, and it's repeated several times. So what I want us to understand is, this is what's awesome about scripture. God says, love one another, but then God in his wisdom and in his grace to us, he defines what it looks like to love one another by stating all the rest of these one another statements. Right? So if we basically look at these one another statements that way, God says, love one another. That's the biggie. That's the umbrella that covers all the rest of them. And then God says, now here, I'm going to define it for you. I'm going to tell you the ways that you can love one another. So he goes on in that list, and you'll see things like encourage one another. You know, instruct one another. He even goes and gives some negatives and say, he says, do not lie to one another. He says things like, don't fight with one another. Because you're going to destroy each other if you do that. Right? So he defines what love another, uh, love one another is. Well, let's say this just for a moment so we're all on the same page with this. The one another statements in the Bible, all of these statements where God says one another, these are not suggestions. They're expectations. These, these are not meant to be, hey, these are some ideas. If you want to try to live these out, that would be great. These are not suggestions, they're expectations. And it's important for us to understand that because we're going to look at here in a moment why these one another statements are so significant, especially when it comes to the rescue mission that we are on, taking Jesus to a lost and broken and hurting world. Here's the significance. We spend so much of our time when we talk about the gospel and we talk about Jesus, we, we spend so much time spending telling people what Jesus is saving them from, and we spend very little time explaining what Jesus is saving them into. 
Now, what I mean by that is we will tell people or we will share a message that believe in Jesus because you will receive eternal life. We like to talk about heaven. We like, we like to talk about eternity and what that's going to look like and streets of gold and he's preparing a place and all of these wonderful and beautiful things. But hear me for a second. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's not just saving us into eternity. He's saving us into a beautiful reality here and now, and that is called his church. I mean, do we understand that the church is a preparation place preparing us for glory? I remember one time. Being in a church, uh, I was, this was before I was pastoring, um, so I was just there, kind of involved with stuff going on. I remember this big, big split happened. I remember being in the meeting, and there was just this, I mean, it was, it was nasty, right? Just nasty. And, and people were, were having a lot of problems with each other, and it was not a good situation. And I remember, I was probably 21, 22 at the time, I remember talking to one of the individuals that was on the other side of the argument that I was. And we were talking, at, you know, this is still during the meeting, we kind of took a time out to break, and we were talking, here's the deal, I did not question this person's salvation in that sense. Like there, I mean, there were some, some issues that we were going in, but deep down, I was like, I don't really question your salvation, but we, we're not seeing eye to eye to, to this. And I remember during that conversation, he was, we were, you know, we weren't fighting, but we were kind of going back and forth a little bit in what we were talking about. And I remember very vividly during this conversation, this overwhelming thought came into my head. And I actually said, the, said this to this person who was like 30 years my senior. So it was kind of a really weird situation. 30 years my senior, I remember looking at him and we were fighting. And he said, you know what, listen, we, we have to deal with this. We're going to, you know, and basically I remember looking at them and saying, but here's, here's the ultimate thing. I love you. And as long as we're both followers of Jesus, you're going to have to put up with me for all eternity. <laughs> you know, like you can walk away from me right here and now and we can have nothing to do with each other again. But guess what? We're going to run in. If you're a believer in Jesus, and I'm, we're going to run into each other again. And it's going to be awkward. So why don't we just deal with it now? You know? The church is preparing us for eternity. The church is this beautiful thing that we are inviting people into. So when we go out into the community and we're inviting them into a relationship with Jesus, not only are we inviting them into a relationship with Jesus, we are inviting them into a relationship with us. So we better be darn sure that this is functioning the way God calls it to function. And that's why he gives us the one another's because he wants us to use our relationship with one another. He wants us to use how we engage each other as the church. He wants us as we live life together as the church. That is what he uses to draw people to himself also, because he says, I'm not just saving you from hell. I'm saving you into my family. And this is my family. And it's the one another's that actually allow the world to see how the family of God functions and lives with one another. So here's the first point that if I had slides, you'd see. But you're not going to see it because you're going to show me grace because you love me, one another. Okay? And you're going to encourage me by not caring that there's no slides. Um, <laughs> Anyways, first point is this. The one another. Why are they significant? 
it's because the one another's are truly a sweet fragrance to the rest of the world around us. The one another's, when we live out the one another statements of scripture, they are a sweet fragrance to the rest of the world around us. In fact, scripture talks about our lives being a fragrant offering unto God, but it also produces an aroma, this is how the word talks about, an aroma to the people around us. To those that are being saved, it's a wonderful aroma. To those who are perishing, it is the smell of death. But here's the deal. No matter if it's a smell of death or if it's a smell of a sweet aroma to those being saved, we are a fragrance to the world around us. So here's the deal. What kind of smell are we putting out into the community? Right? What kind, of, what kind of aroma are we putting out into the community? Now, can I tell you something? I think there's a lot of good things that we can be known for as a church, and we should strive to be known for them. But can I tell you something right now? If I were to make a list, these would not be at the top of my list of wanting to be known for. I don't want to be known for the best music. I don't want to be known for the best preaching. I don't want to be known for the prettiest building. I don't want to be known for the best programs. You know what I want to be known for? I want to be known as, that's a church that loves one another. That's what we should want to be known for. Because if we're a church that's known as loving one another, and a church that's known as loving Jesus, then guess what? We're going to have good worship. And we're going to have good teaching. Because it's all going to be about Jesus. And we're going to have good programs because we're loving on each other. Now, when I'm saying all this, I'm not trying to say it up here saying we're not that. I'm just saying that's what we should strive for always. Being known as a church that lives out the one another's because it's a sweet fragrance to the world around us. Now, here's the deal. Some people, that's going to draw them towards us. And some people, they're going to want to be pushed away by that. Either way, I'm good with that because God is the one that's drawing people to himself. So if God uses our ability to live out the one another's and that's upsetting people, I'm fine with that because God will deal with that person and drawing them to himself. You ever seen that before? A person that has to get really upset and like adamantly opposed to the church to get them in the place where God finally turns the switch and he draws them back? We got to be willing to let that happen. Our responsibility is just to live out the one another's. So anyways, it's a sweet fragrance in the world around us. The second thing I want us to understand about the one another's and why we should uh, strive for these is that they are evidence of the power of the gospel and they're evidence of our own transformation, right? As we live out the one another statements of scripture, and again, you have that list, hopefully you do grab it if you don't. If you look at that list, there are many things on that list that I look at and say, I can't do that. That's beyond me. And my weakness is I can't do that, but that's the glory of the one another statements. I'm not meant to do them on my own. I'm meant to do them under the power of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in me, which means when we faithfully live out the one another's, especially when we can't or don't want to, it's not evidence of how awesome we are. It's evidence of how awesome he is. You get this? So, so it's evidence that the gospel is real, it's evidence that the power of the gospel is real, and it's evidence of our own transformations. We're becoming more like Christ. 
not because of anything that is good in me or good in you. It is because of the power of the God that indwells us and transforms us. This is why these one another's are significant. Here's the uh, another one I want you to say that the significance of the one another's. And it fits with the one we just got done talking about. The one another's, when we live them out, they don't bring glory to us. The third thing I want you to understand with significance is they don't bring glory to us. They bring glory to God. If we're walking around doing things, trying to bring glory to us, guess what? That's the only reward you will ever receive is the glory and praise that you get from men. Jesus says, let your good deeds shine before men that they may praise your Father in heaven. He didn't say, let your good deeds shine before men so that they praise you and your Father in heaven. Our one another's, when we live out this life, we bring glory to God. In fact, just last week, it was when it was cold. Why it couldn't have been this time of year, like this weather? This is when it was the cold week, right? Last week, it was cold. Come home one night, the sun's already down, it's late, it's cold, it's windy. My neighbors, one of my neighbors, uh, trash bin and recycle bin, both of them, got tipped over, and there's like just trash all over in their yard, right? So I know this person gets up super early to go to work, so they were already in bed, it's like 9 o'clock at night, and I looked at Amy and I said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick up their stuff. So I went out, and have you ever had these moments, like you, you're like half and half, like half of me was like, David, this is the right thing, and the other half of me is like, you are stupid. Like, <laughs> pick up your own stupid garbage. Like, that's what's going through your head. I will acknowledge it, that's me, because I'm cold, and I'm shoveling, and like, it was one of those situations that it fell in a ditch, so, as I'm piling it back in, it's not getting any smaller because we're just going deeper. There's just a lot of trash. And he lives by himself for the most part. But now there's one person. Well, anyways. Anyways. Uh, so I'm doing this. So I pick up all the trash, but there was a couple pieces of trash that I could I knew they kind of blew away into his yard. And I couldn't see him because it was so dark. So I was like, well, I'm not going to look for him. Uh, so the next morning, I pick out my phone, and I was getting ready to text him. And I was going to text. I, was, I started the text, and I was going to be like, hey, just wanted you to know if you saw any trash in your yard, this is what happened. And I just wanted you to know, blah, blah, blah. And God stopped me before I sent that text because he said, David, stop. You're not sending this text because you're trying to explain the trash in his yard. You're sending this text because you want props for going and picking it up. So I deleted the text. So here's the thing. He probably never even knew his trash fell over. Who cares, right? It's not about me. But God looked down and he said, good job. Because you didn't seek the praise of man. So because you didn't seek the praise of man, you're going to have the praise of me. When we live out the one another's, it brings glory to God. Now here's the thing I want you to understand is this. This is about the rescue mission, right? If we're living this way and we're sending out this aroma into the community and into our families and into our neighborhoods and into our jobs, and we're showing the evidence of the gospel and the power of the gospel and the transformation of the gospel, and if we're bringing the glory of God and not walking around trying to get praise from men, do you not think God can use that to draw men to himself and use it in the rescue mission? This is some beautiful stuff when you really stop to think about it. The way we live, the role, the way we live our lives, God uses for his glory. Here's one small point I want to make just for a second, because this is where Satan gets in there and he likes to get in the way of us living to one another's. What he likes to do is this. He likes to make us focus not on how we are living out the one another's in the church, 
But he wants us to focus on how much are people living out the one another's towards me. What I mean by that is we need to spend more of our time living out the one another's of Scripture more than we seek them out. Meaning, I need to spend more time focusing on how am I encouraging the people around me instead of focusing on how much are people not encouraging me. You know what I'm saying? I remember very vividly having a, a conversation with a, a woman in our church in Missouri who uh, one, at one moment she just up and off. She came to me, she's like, I'm done. I don't want to be part of the church anymore. I'm just done with it. I don't want to be here. And don't get me wrong, we talked about it and she had some, some valid stuff. But one of her statements was, nobody in this church ever comes and visits me. Now hear me on this. She wasn't a shut-in. She wasn't no girl. I mean, there are situations where I get that. This wasn't one of those situations. She was very active. She was constantly involved with stuff. She, she was just frustrated. She's like, nobody ever visits me. Nobody ever calls me. You know, I've been gone for three, week, three weeks. Nobody even checked on me to find out why I wasn't here. So I looked at her and remember saying, I was looking at her and said, you know what, I, I acknowledge that and I know that hurts and that's unfortunate. And yes, there are ways that we need to grow and do better with that. But can I ask you a question? Sure, what's the question? Can I ask you this? In the last month, how many people in the church have you called on? In the last month, how many people have you seen that haven't been in church on Sunday and you reached out to them to find out why they weren't here? In the last month, who have you gone to visit? Well, that's not the point. Well, no, it is kind of the point. Because if you're going to put expectations on everybody else, you better be darn sure that you're living up to those expectations. Does this make sense? See, we, we see the one another's in Scripture, and we go through those, and don't get me wrong, I get it. We fail as the church sometimes, and we fail to live out the one another's. But what we do is we, we focus on them on looking at everybody else and how they're failing to live these out. Where we need to start is asking, how am I doing on living these out? So instead of us focusing on seeking how people are doing it for us, we need to be focused on how am I actively living them out? Because can I encourage you with something just for a second? If you feel like people are not doing a very good job of living out one another's around you in this church, or in, in your circle of people, whatever it is, if you just feel that, can I encourage you with something? If you actively and obediently and humbly live them out for yourself and the lives of the people around you, God can use you to make them see the importance of living them out for you. And can I also give you an encouragement? Even if the people around you don't start pouring into you, if you actively live out for one another, God himself will pour into you. God himself will say, you know what? Yep, the people around you are not doing what I need them to do for you, so I'm going to step in and I'll do it myself. So can I encourage you with that? Let us not live out, or let us not seek out the one others. Let's live them out. All right, so we're going to finish this up by just looking at a couple of the one another. We're not going to go through a lot of them, but just some of the, a couple of them, just real quick. So let's just look at a few of them. I told you before, the number one is love one another. Jesus tells us, my command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. You know what I love about Jesus, but I also don't really care about Jesus' statements? Is he could have stopped that by saying, my command is this, love one another, period. Because that's cool. I can define it then. Right? That's awesome. I can define what love is. But Jesus felt like he needed to add the rest of that statement. Love one another 
as I have loved you. Now guess what? Jesus doesn't define that. You and I don't have any place or right to define how to love one another because Jesus does, just did it for us. He said, you do it how I have loved you. So here's the thing. I'm just going to throw out three words of how Jesus loves us. There's more to this, but we're just going to, because I don't want to overwhelm us because it's overwhelming for me. These three things. How does Jesus love us? He loves us unconditionally, sacrificially, and eternally. You get that? Jesus loves us unconditionally. He doesn't put conditions on it. He doesn't say, you have to earn it before I give it. He doesn't say, you have to do something that, that I like in order to, for me to you know, give you any kind of love. His love is instantaneous. It's always, it's unconditional. He's not looking for a reason to give it away or to stop giving it. He's not looking for a reason to be able to give it. It's given unconditionally, automatically. Here it is. But not only that, God gives sacrificially. Um, let me give you an example of loving sacrificially just for a moment um, in the context of what we're talking about. Christmas Eve service coming up. I love doing Christmas Eve service. This will be our third year. Can I tell you something? Like 90% of me loves doing the Christmas Eve service. 10% of me doesn't. I'm going to be honest. Let's, come, you know, let's be honest with each other. 10% of me doesn't. Here's why. Because my flesh and my selfishness says things like this. Man, it'd be so much nicer just to sit on my butt at my house with my family and enjoy my time. It's Christmas Eve, for goodness sakes. I, that, that, I, I wrestle with that at times. You know? Or I even say things like this because I, you know, I get up and the praise team will do, will do the music and I'll be up there singing or preaching or whatever my part is each week. You know, I've even had moments where I thought this. You know what? It'd be nice if somebody else just took care of that because then I could sit with my wife and actually enjoy it with my family. Right? That goes through my head. It'd be so much better to be able to sit out there with my wife and kids just like everybody else. You know, that's my selfishness. That's my flesh. That's that. But then Jesus reminds me. He's like, wait a minute. Time out. I called you to love people the way I love people and that means sacrifice. So, is it really that big of a deal, David, for you to sacrifice X amount of hours for the potential of somebody hearing about me and finding out that I love them and finding out that they don't have to live the life that they're living and it draws them? David, is it really that big a deal? And when you start looking at it from that point of, point of view, God's like, God, no, it's not. I'm willing to sacrifice. To love people means to be inconvenienced. You ever notice that? You ever notice it's inconvenient to love people? notice how like they call at just the worst time and you're just like seriously <laughs> seriously this is when you have to call but here's the deal kind of challenges for a moment when it comes to the church and the people around us i'm sure anybody in here that has children if your children called you and they had an emergency at that moment you wouldn't see it as an inconvenience because i love them Right? We need to start growing and expanding in our love for one another. We, Jesus loved us unconditionally. He loved us sacrificially. But he also loved us eternally, which means his love never ends. Right? His love never ends. We, we shouldn't find reasons to stop loving one another. But that happens in the church. You've upset me. You've hurt me. You've wounded me. You gave me a dirty look. You didn't take my idea, whatever it is. Do you notice how Satan loves to drive wedges in the church. 
loves the dried wedges. Jesus says, no, don't find reasons not to love each other. When those, those circumstances come and, and it wants to divide you away, you need to step in even more to the one another's and love each other even more than before. Because we're called to love one another. Here's the second one I want to focus on just for a moment. This is another one that I, I, I like it, but I don't like it. It's falling off angry feeling. Scripture tells us this, bear with one another. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Once again, don't you love it when God defines it for you? Right? Because I've heard people say this, bear with one another and forgive one another. I've heard people say, you know what? I am bearing with them because I haven't gone off on them yet. Like, right? I've heard that. I've heard people say, I'm bearing with so-and-so because everything in me wants to slap them as hard as I can. And I haven't done it yet. Right? I've seen churches where, I've pastored churches where I can't stand people on this side, so we sit on this side. I'm bearing with them. Right? That's how we've defined this. That's not what God is saying here. Listen, God says, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's the thing I want us to understand. Imagine the draw that a church would have to the world when they see a church full of people that are so overflowing with the love of Christ that they actually actively put up with each other. You get what I'm saying here about put up with each other. Like, what I mean by this is, is we, we don't find reasons to isolate. We don't find reasons to push people away. We don't find reasons to not engage people because of personality difference or a misunderstanding. But instead, we actively do as the Lord calls us to do. And we bear with one another and we forgive our grievances with one another. In fact, one translation says it this way. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. What I love about this is where it says make allowances for each other's faults. Do you know what that means? That means if we are honest with each other, every single person in this room, sooner or later, is going to do something stupid. Now, right now, my wife, if she was here, and I said that to her, she'd be like, you calling me stupid? <laughs> she says that to me, I was like, no, I'm not calling you stupid, but we do stupid. Right? Because we're human. I have faults. I'm going to screw things up. I'm going to do something that's going to upset you. I'm going to say something that's going to offend you. I'm going to say something or do something or make a look. Here's the deal. We're all going to do it at some point in time because let me let you off the hook for a moment. Let's get off our pedestal. Let's get off the high horse. You're not perfect. And we need to stop expecting each other to be perfect. Because when we're not perfect, guess what? That's when grace enters in. And we forgive each other. And we let go of offenses. And we allow one another the space to be able to grow and learn. Does that make sense? I guess Christians, allowing each other the space to grow and learn. 
that doesn't mean that we put up with sinful behavior. That doesn't mean that we put up when people are actively hurting one another. That's not what I'm talking about here. But what we do is we correct each other in love. We instruct each other with love. But we're also quick to forgive when necessary. We're, we're quick to deal with the offense. We're, we're quick to have conversation when we need to have conversation. We're, we're quick to let something go. So here's the thing I just want to say at this point, then we'll move on. Here's the deal. If anybody ever offends you in the church, hear me on this. If anybody ever offends you, if anybody ever hurts you, right? If anybody ever does something that causes a wound in you in some way, not trying to say it's not real and it didn't happen, but this is kind of the way I live. This is the, the, the way I approach these things. I approach them by two things. Okay? If somebody hurts me or says something or wounds me or offends me, I look at it one of two ways. If it's not important enough for me to address it to them personally, I let it go. Those are the two ways I deal with it. You know what I'm saying? So if you wound me, and I feel like, you know what, I need to talk to you about that, then I'm going to talk to you about it. But if I feel like it's not important enough for me to talk to you about, I'm not going to sit there and dwell on it. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to give you freedom, allow, I'm going to allow for your faults, and I'm saying, you know what, this isn't important enough for me to deal with at this time. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a misunderstanding, whatever it is. If it's not important enough for me, but we don't do it that way. What we do, what Satan wants us to do, is he wants us to get offended, not talk about it, and fester on it for months, years, decades, whatever. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like someone in the church offended me 10 years ago, and I've probably spoken to them, but it's not important <laughs> enough for me to go talk to them about it, but I'm going to dwell on it every time I see them. Right? Let's live out with one another. Because if the world sees us as a group of people that love each other so much that we will not let Satan divide us, man, the world's going to be drawn to that. They're going to be, man, look how they care for one another one another, they speak truth to one another. They make sure that there's there's fellowship and love between one another. And then here's the last one I want to focus on just for a moment, and then we close. Scripture tells us to be like-minded with one another. Romans 15, 5 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. Now there's a lot of stuff I can talk about with this. But I want to focus back to what we are as a church and who we are as a church when it comes to this rescue mission. Like-minded does not mean that we have to like all of the same things. Like-minded does not mean we have to like worship exactly the same way, the preaching exactly the same way, the classes that are offered, the, the way we do things. That's not what like-minded is saying here because we will never be like-minded, right? Never. I'll give you an example of how just worship we won't be like-minded. One of the upgrades that we made for the sound system is we got this really cool subwoofer over here now. Okay? Now here's the deal. When I come in here on my own and I play music through that, I go back there and I crank that subwoofer up so things are kind of shaking. You know, we were in here the other day and Rob was like, is it working? I'm like, Rob, I feel it in my feet back there. It's working. Right? Like, the sub I like that. You know, kind of that, you just kind of feel the vibration, right? It's like you feel the Spirit of God moving in you, just kind of vibrating everything, right? I like that. Chances are there's going to be a lot of people that don't like that. 
right? I understand that. My dad and I, I, I love talking to my dad when it comes to music because he's the old Gene Autry, you know, like that old yodel and stuff, you know. <laughs> he loves that kind of music. Um, he hates my kind of music, you know. My kind of music's, you know, heavy rock and that kind of, you know. And, and he'll always yell at me. He's like, that's not Christian. But yeah, it's Christian man. It's not Christian. It can't be Christian. I love to look at him and say, God, someday when you come, I was like, Dad, when you get to heaven, I just want you to know, God's going to put you on the heavy metal level. <laughs> He's going to surround you with these people. We don't, we have different tastes. That's not what the Bible's talking about with like-minded. And that's the problem. A lot of our divisions happen when we think we have to agree on these things that are preferences. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. What the Bible's talking about is being like-minded on what's actually important. Listen, that's not important. The style of music we play is not important. The songs themselves are not important. As long as they're glorifying God and they're scripturally truthful, that's all that's important, right? Preaching is not, I mean, it's important, but style. Those things are not over preferences. But here's the things that we need to be like-minded about. We need to be like-minded about the core truths of Scripture. Right? Our doctrinal truths that we all stand upon as this is what is true from Scripture. Things like this. The only way to heaven, the only way to the Father, the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Right? We, that's like-minded. Right? There is one God... But three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We don't balk on that. We're like-minded, right? These are the like-minded things, those doctrinal truths that we do not waver on. But there are more things that come to us as an individual church. Here's the other way that we need to be like-minded. We need to be like-minded in this church, in this. We exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. Are we united in that? we're not we got a problem that's why we exist that's it that's why we exist we are here we exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus we want to see people saved redeemed brought back into a relationship with an almighty God saved for forever transformed by the power of the gospel we want to see a hurting world healed through Jesus but we also need to be like-minded in how we do that by following Jesus, by connecting to the church, by growing in our faith, and by living in purpose, right? We as a church have to be united that this is the system, this is the structure that God has given us for us to be the church he's called us to be by following Jesus, by connecting to the church, by growing in our faith, and by living with purpose. We need to be united in this, like-minded. And finally, we need to be like-minded in our values. Let's test ourselves for a moment. Because how can you be like-minded in something that we don't know? And I'm going to ask. I'm gonna, I want somebody to answer. What's our first value? Does anybody know? What's value number one? We are running to keep up with Jesus. Right? As a church, we're saying, wherever Jesus is going, we're following. Even if it's not my preference, even if I don't like it, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Wherever Jesus takes us, I'm going to follow. Can I just be honest when it comes to this? That there are things in Scripture where I have sat there and said, man, that would have been awesome to see. 
but it would have required me to do things that I didn't want to do. As an example, wouldn't it have been cool to walk through the Red Sea? I mean, think about that. But have you ever thought, if you were literally standing there and Moses is like, come on, you'd be like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. <laughs> no. You know? I mean, think about this for a moment. There are moments. You know, I think about Elijah and him with the altar and calling down fire from heaven. And he has all the other prophets of Baal surrounding him. And, and here he is, the one sole prophet. And I read that, I'm like, oh, God, that would be amazing to experience your presence like that. But could you imagine if God, I mean, imagine that. Hey, have enough faith right now to call down fire from heaven. Yeah, I don't want to look like an idiot. Because what if I do that and you don't, you don't show up? My common sense tells me that's kind of stupid. And I'm not going to put myself out there like that, God. But I'm, here's the deal. If I want to see cool things happen by the power of God, then I better be ready to follow God into some weird places that don't make sense. So we need to be united in that. Not finding reasons to argue and have division on, I don't agree or I don't think that's right. Or I don't. If we're trying to bring Jesus to a hurting world, then let's be willing to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. Does that make sense? Second core value. While we're following Jesus, we're going to pursue him with ridiculous joy. Meaning, we're not just going to be a bunch of grumpy people. Like there's going to be celebration with us, excitement with us. That doesn't mean we still don't have issues and problems that we're dealing with and hardships and difficulties. But we can face them with a joy because we know our God is bigger than all of those things. That's the type of people we need to be. So, let's ask the question. So you should know this one because we're talking about it right now. What's core value number three? Rescue mission. We're on a rescue mission. Right? Are we like-minded with that one truth? Meaning we're going to leverage everything we can as a church and as individuals to save people because we're on a rescue mission. Are we in agreement on that? Are we like-minded with that? The fourth one, we are conduits of the gospel, not containers of it. Meaning we're not hoarding this stuff. We're flowing out of us into people that need it the most. And finally, the big one, we're not going to get in his way. We're going to be like-minded with that. Meaning if there's ever a moment where I'm getting in the way, I expect the church to come to me and say, hey, knock it off, you're getting in the way. Jesus is leading us this way. You're getting in the way. In the same vein, I hope we're like-minded enough that if you're getting in the way, you're willing for someone to come to you and say, hey, you're kind of getting in the way. I'm not saying it from judgment. I'm not saying it because I don't like you. We're following Jesus. Let's not get in the way. We need to be like-minded with these things. And as we close, this is the last scripture I want you guys to walk away with is this. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As I'm closing with these last points, if the praise team wants to come up, here's why I want you to end with this. I want you to focus on this as we leave, and, and let this be our, our understanding of this. When we live out the one another's as the church, when we choose to live the way that God has called us to live, we are going to live out these one another's not by looking at one another as the motivation for living this stuff out. No, 
We're going to live out the one another's by looking to Jesus as the motivator for living these things out. Scripture says, be imitators of God. Right? Jesus, imitate Jesus, the representation of the Father who showed us the glory of the Father and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. We live out the one another's not because I think you deserve it or because you've earned it. No, I choose to live out the one another's because of Jesus. We focus on Jesus and he is the motivator so that even when a person is brought before us that God says, show them the love of the one another's and everything in you says, Lord, I don't want to because I don't feel they deserve it. Jesus then reminds you, it's not about whether they deserve it. It's about me. I'm the one that came for you. I'm the one that died for you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that lives for you and intercedes for you and empowers you. It's about me. Be imitator of me. So as we leave, let us be excited that we're not doing this because we're so awesome and wonderful and we've earned the right to love on one another the way he calls us to. Let us leave knowing that we do it because he is awesome and he is wonderful. And we want to do it because of all the grace and love he's poured into us. And because of that, we choose to love one another. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise for this morning being in your presence. Lord, I pray you fill us with a supernatural understanding of this, that this is a, a mighty way that we can be on this rescue mission, that as the church lives and functions and, and uh, it just encourages and loves and supports one another, Lord, this is going to be a huge testimony to the world around us, where people are going to say, I want to be part of that. That's a community that is completely different than anything the world offers. So there's got to be something real about this Jesus. There's got to be something real about this salvation, and I want to be part of that. Lord, let us, just as a church, and how we live with one another, be such a drawing force through the power of your spirit that people come wanting to know about Jesus, that they will approach us in the community and want to know about Jesus, that they will ask us at work about Jesus because they see something so radically different in us because we are committed to being on this rescue mission and we are committed to being the people you call us to be, living out these one another's. For your glory, for your glory, always and only, 